Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Rhythms of Renewal, trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm. Welcome back. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gabe. And it's time for a new season. It's season seven. Yes, it is. Uh, Several of you guys have been asking, like, when is the podcast coming back? And so here we are. Here we are. We took a pause as we prepared for some fun things. We're practicing our rhythms. Yes, we are. We needed to rest. We did. Well, we need to also plan and prepare. And connect and create. Um. So you're going to get some fun in this season. We're going to get some video. We have a new studio. We've been working on our team is just amazing. We have incredible interviews lined up for this season. I'm yes. so excited about. And we're talking about this season, overcoming adversity, which is such a critical component to the bigger story that you're telling this spring when your book releases May 2nd on building a resilient life, how adversity awakens strength, hope, and meaning. And so much of what we'll be talking about is this part of resilience that is the part like most of us don't want to deal with adversity. We'd rather go and take the mm-hmm. coasting route. And yet I know what you've learned from your research, looking at the science, the critical piece yes. of being resilient is right. overcoming adversity. Honestly, I got the idea for this book about four months into lockdown. <laughs> and I really initially wanted to give this for our kids, like write this about the next generation. Because we found in that early, those early days of, of COVID that – we were, I wasn't feeling all that resilient. And yet we were, there was not, I mean, it was a scary unknown time, but essentially we were all at home together navigating, just like figuring out what does these, this dynamic look like? And I yeah. felt like I was struggling more than I ought to be in that moment. Yeah. These last years have revealed what we were made of a bit, you know, and, yeah. and in some ways we've been very proud of like, wow, I, in some ways I've, I've, reset the way I think about life and what's important and what's valuable. Yeah. And in other ways it exposed weak areas where like, right. you know, whether it was physical health or mental health, these these areas that, man, I need to give a little more attention to this. How did I how did I kind of lose my step right. in the midst of adversity? Yeah. Cause I'll while I meant for my kids, I, I as I write in the book, I actually had a lot to learn myself. And so I realized that this is this is a lifelong thing. Like resilience isn't something you acquire and it's static and you always have that same amount of resilience. It's It actually falls on a continuum because yeah. resilience is built by continuing to build resilience. Like if yeah. you just decide that like, I'm going to rest on my laurels of my 30s or my 20s where I felt really strong, but I'm just going to stop doing those things in my 40s and expect the same results. It's just not going to happen. And so COVID for me, or even that, that season of pause allowed some things to surface that were coping mechanisms and maybe means of avoiding harder conversations for you and I, or for the kids or our friends, things like that. Like you said, health, relational, like we had enough space for things to emerge that we probably should have dealt with prior, but now we had no choice to avoid those things. Yeah. And what I love about the way even mm-hmm. the book is titled is it's about building. It's not just called a resilient life. You get there because you build and there's foundations to that and there's rules to that. And there's ways in which when we start to engage these rules and start to work through the process that you lay out so clearly in this book, it helps people know how to wrap their head around 
how do I build a resilient life? If, if I'm 50 years old now or I'm 65 and I don't feel that resilient, is it too late for me? And the, the reality is no, it's yeah. never too late. Yeah. And in fact, the ways in which we build resilience comes at the moment we awaken to the fact that we're weak. Yeah. And that we don't have it all figured out and mm-hmm. that we're going to need other people and that we're going to have to go through this process and this journey. And so this season, you're going to get to hear stories of people who have overcome adversity. They've been faced with something that revealed to them a need for resilience and they have found a way to be resilient in it. And you're going to be encouraged, inspired. It's going to be the kind of stories and episodes you're going to want to share with friends and family to encourage them. We're going to talk to counselors. We're going to talk to psychologists, to people who've done the research and the work on how the brain works. Mm -hmm. You're going to hear inspiring stories of Olympic athletes and people who've overcome amazing challenges in order to experience resilience. Yeah. And one thing that I learned in the writing is that the more, uh, in this research, the more that we're doing this resilient life together, I mean, that was kind of my big takeaway after a year and a half of research and the writing is that resilience never happens in isolation. It truly is a community effort. It's a family effort. It's a friend group effort. It's, uh, being inspired by one another, speaking truth over one another. And, and so we're hopeful for every single one of you listeners that, that you won't hear this word resilience. And we're going to talk a lot more about this as we continue, but that you won't hear this word resilience as aspirational and a good idea, but kind of optional or something that doesn't really apply to you because, because truly what this is going to look like is us being a support system for you. And this is, these are going to be conversations that you can take to your circles, your spouse, your kids, your families, your friends, and, and press into these things together, press into the ways in which you respond to adversity. Uh, we're going to unpack how adversity awakens. It awakens uh, despair, but it also can awaken hope. Yeah. It can awaken strength. It can awaken meaning. And we are faced with a choice every time something is hard in our lives. Yeah, and How will we respond? And the resilient life isn't just about being resilient. It's about those things. It's about experiencing meaning. For many people, they're struggling right now with meaning. They're, mm-hmm. they're wondering why they can't find purpose, why they're they, they just feel like they're stuck in a loop and they're not yeah. sure how they're going to get out. Well, part of that's a lack of resilience and understanding how this resilient life starts to build meaning. When we resistance train, which is one of the ideas you talk about in this project, we start to build muscle and strength in ways that we had no idea we even needed. When we face adversity with hopefulness and mm-hmm. with joy, it starts to become something that's attractive to everybody around us. And yeah. so I'm excited about... The journey we're about to go on together in this season, you guys have been around with us seven seasons now where we've talked about so many things from marriages and parenting to this last season, emotional health, and the seasons before on these four rhythms and how you can incorporate them into your life. But this season is going to be one where we're going to bear down together on this really important subject and help you develop the foundations that are going to be so critical, not just for you this season, but I think for the season ahead for those that you love and care for that you're going to be a leader in the midst of this and Mm -hmm. you're going to be building that kind of life not only for yourself but for those you love yeah and we don't want adversity to be scary or something that you run from instead we want you to embrace it so that you can overcome and so we're going to help you do that just stay with us every week dial back in if it's sometimes you it feels a little overwhelming like you want to do it but you don't feel like you have the strength to do it we're going to be here with you and we're going to continue to give you tools and resources along the way because we know that that when we count it joy when we face trial 
It makes us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's what James 1 tells us in scripture. There's a joyfulness even in adversity. There is something that God is maturing in us, and we can't learn it if we avoid it. So I'm excited to do this. And to get Rebecca's new book, Building a Resilient Life, releasing May 2nd, you can pre-order that now at rebeccalines.com slash rlbook. Take advantage of all the pre-order gifts, and you can also order this book anywhere books are sold. Rebecca, I'm excited about our guest today, Megan Hyatt Miller. We're, we're talking about such an important foundational idea if we're going to be resilient. And it's really about how do we think? How do we approach areas in our life where we're thinking wrong about them? Mm-hmm. We've started to buy into a lie that makes us weak and doesn't make us resilient. And today, she's going to help share with us more about that. Yeah. So she had two decades of experiencing a lie, basically, and believing it and agreeing with it. And it kind of made her small and shut down and Cow, like not want to embrace the thing that actually she's really gifted at. And so uh, I'm really excited about this because what she experiences, what a lot of people fear, this, what, her, her fear is one of the most popular fears out there. Yeah. Like if you were to survey anything, what are you most afraid of? <laughs> what her fear is, is what many of you would respond. So I think yeah. you're going to really resonate with what she has to say. Yeah. And we're going to listen to her story. You're going to get some very practical points about how you can start thinking well about the way you operate around your fears. She's the author of the book, Mind Your Mindset with co-author Michael Hyatt. Let's listen in now. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. We are so happy you are here. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's so fun to be back. Well, in this series, we're talking about overcoming adversity and could not wait to talk to you about this because I think our listeners are learning through Rebecca's work about rhythms and how we incorporate rhythms into our life, that that's essential to how we actually can operate with resilience. But you're talking a lot about the mindset. And I think this is a huge part that people are starting to become more aware of is how much the way they think starts to impact the way in which they live and how they feel about how they live, how confident they are, whether anxiety is creeping in. So tell us a little bit about just your background and and how this subject matter became such an important part of your work. Well, uh, my professional background is that I'm the CEO of Full Focus. We're a goal achievement company here in Franklin, Tennessee, and uh, we really help people to close the gap through our coaching and tools between where they are and where they want to be, whether that's an individual or a business owner. So we have the whole executive coaching program, and then we have our Full Focus Planner, which is a 90-day uh, planner all around goal achievement, linking your annual goals to your daily actions. But in my own journey, my own journey is actually fraught with anxiety. That's a big part of my story, especially professionally, which is sort of weird to say in a public setting. But um, I, I had a, a debilitating fear of public speaking my entire life that mm. nobody knew about except for my husband, Joel. And uh, it began when I was in high school. I watched a friend who was delivering a presentation in front of a room and she just became overwhelmed with anxiety and she ran out of the room and I found her kind of in the fetal position in the, in the hallway bathroom crying. And unconsciously, I created uh, kind of a narrative over that experience that said speaking is dangerous. And if you speak publicly in front of people, you might lose control of your body. You might become humiliated. It's just, it's dangerous. And so unbeknownst to me, because this is all kind of operating in the background for me, which is the way that our stories often work, um, I avoided every situation that could potentially put me in front of others to the point that uh, in my 20s, I'm in my mid 40s now, but I uh, I got to the place where even 
reading like a scripture passage in a small group, I would pass to the next person because my body would just be overcome with anxiety. And so fast forward as my career was taking off and, you know, I had opportunities or, or really requests to, to be on stage or to present in some way. I just kept passing those things up or handing them to someone else. And somehow I kind of navigated through, but my story just get got smaller and smaller and my opportunities got smaller. And uh, eventually I became the COO of Full Focus. And uh, my dad, Michael Hyatt, who is also my business partner, he came to me and said, um, you know, I want you to become the COO. And I thought, great, you know, let, let's do it. And then not long after that, my team said, uh, hey, we're going to do a live event. And the funniest thing, you've never keynoted before. <laughs> you know, we thought we might as well get you on stage and we're going to have about 800 people and we'd love for you to do a keynote. And my heart just sank because I thought, this is my worst nightmare come to life. I'm going to be exposed. I have so much shame around this. Nobody knows. And I said yes, because what else was I going to do? Like it was that or kind of quit, you know, and that began a six week journey for me of really going to battle in a way Mm. with this story that had become the thing that was confining my life and making me small, um, kind of a prison of my own making. And I worked with an anxiety coach. I worked with a speech coach, all everything I could do. But really what I did is I rewrote the story of speaking. And six weeks later, after a lot of difficulty, I got on stage in front of 800 people, delivered my first keynote. I wasn't nervous. It was awesome. The night before, I had a panic attack, so I don't want to make up rosier (laughs) than it was, okay, on this planet. But I was able to, to really rewrite the story. And when we rewrite our stories, we have access to different actions, which ultimately leads us to different results in our life, which we talk about in Mind Your Mindset. And that's resilience. (laughs) The fact that you turn towards the pain instead of keep running from it, that's the third rule of resilience in the book, Embrace Adversity. Because you you, you were kind of stuck. Like you had done a really good job sidestepping, avoiding, kind of just getting away with that. How long of a period of time was this that you had believed that I I will never be a public speaker? Um, Over two decades. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Can you imagine like what kind of retraining your brain was needed mm. from yeah. two decades of believing something? And right. the more you believe and the more you retreat, the more that lie grows. And it does. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's so interesting because um, how true a story feels doesn't mm. actually have anything to do with whether or not it is right. true, you know? And it Say felt that again. so true. And I think that's, you guys, we were talking before we got on about adversity and resilience. And I think that so often these stories that ultimately confine our lives and dictate the actions that we have access to and ultimately the results we experience, they really get stuck in there in moments of pain, sometimes trauma, and those are the most powerful ones. Yeah, you're right. And I'm, I think it's remarkable that in six weeks' time, I just want everyone to hear this, that in six weeks' time with really no other option. I think that was yeah. the catalyst. Yes. It wasn't even the time frame. It was that this is it, girl. Like you it. are going on stage in six weeks and there's no negotiating that. If I die trying. <laughs> yeah. And so even just like kind of having that hard deadline of something, it's amazing what that'll mobilize your willingness yeah. to get the people right in front of you, whether it's an anxiety coach or a speech coach, or you were just, you had just decided I don't have a way out. So I'm yeah. going to have to face this head on. Yeah. Well, how quickly did you, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think also I decided I, I was tired of living in a small story. 
Yeah. You know, I had made a lot of progress in my career. A lot of great things were happening. I was married. I had four kids. And I just felt like this story was outdated, but I was still trapped in it. And I, mm. I was tired of that. So I think yeah. that was another part of it. That's well, and good. it's an encouragement to people. I mean, your circumstances were such, they're like, we would love for you to give a talk. And so maybe in some ways you felt like, man, I, I need to do this. Yes. There's also moments where we can just make a decision. I'm going to do this right. hard thing that yep. I've never done before. I know it's going to stretch me, but I know by doing it that I'm going to grow. And yeah. I think I think for all of us, we need to keep pressing into that and not get too comfortable because we don't grow when we just sit in our complacency of what yeah. we're comfortable yes. with. Um you talk about in your book, Mind Your Mindset, the narrator. And I'd love for you to just yeah. describe this narrator that's in our mind because we all have it. I have a friend who talks about it as like your your like brain committee. It's like this group of people <laughs> you give all this power to, this access to. They're living rent-free in your head all the time, yeah. <laughs> telling you so many things that may or may not be true. And so you really describe that well, like how that happens. Um, describe that for everyone. Yeah. Well, if you've ever thought there was kind of a voice in your head talking to you, you're not wrong. <laughs> there is. Uh, we call it in Mind Your Mindset, the narrator. And it's just kind of helpful to personify it a little bit. But basically what it is, it's, is it's your brain. And the thing about the brain is that the brain likes to make sense of things. It is inherently a meaning maker. And so uh, what that looks like practically is that things happen in our lives, like my experience of finding my friend crying in the bathroom after you know, trying to give a speech that she couldn't get through. And, and our brain then says, okay, how am I going to interpret this set of facts? And these are things that could be on a police report or a medical report. I mean, they're not usually that emotionally charged for the most part, but then our brain wants to make sense of it. And so it layers a narrative about what those circumstances mean. And that really becomes what we would consider to be the facts or the truth. But in fact, there's what happened? And then there's what we say about what happened. And those are two distinct things. And so part of this work of the first step of, of Mind Your Mindset is to identify uh, the story that you're telling is to really start to realize you do have a narrator in your head. Your brain is always working to make sense of what you're experiencing. And uh, eventually you have the opportunity to intervene in that and do something different. But for starters, there is a difference between what happens and what your brain is telling you it means. And I think for many of us, that is not something anybody ever told us. We just thought whatever we think about a situation, like if you're trying to explain a conversation you had with your kids or a meeting you were in and what happened in that, what you say happened is what happened. And right. in fact, the research would say, actually, it's not. Right. It's like any marriage therapist would say, yes. okay, you've got your version of the story and you've got Gabe's version of the story. Right. And then you've got the actual version of the story Yes, <laughs> that we exactly. bring in our bias, our, our perspective based on our own trauma, our own unwellness, you know, our unhealth. Yeah. And um, so Gabe will say something. Sometimes counseling is nothing more than Gabe's talking to me and me talking to Gabe and then the counselor repeating back exactly what we said that we didn't actually hear each other say. We heard it when mm -hmm. the counselor said it because we weren't already like guarded and defenses up. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize that's that's actually what you said, but I took it yeah. so personal. Because or I'll hear it back and be like, that sounds horrible. Like <laughs> that is that is what I just said. I and know. I can understand now yeah. how that would feel yeah. for someone. Like to him, he's like, I'm just that. being direct. I'm like, well, to you, <laughs> to me, man. We were we were recently with um, a mental health coach, like for for PGA golfers, and I was mm. interviewing him about mindset because in golf it's this individual sport. You're trying sure. to 
you have to you have to have your mindset right to stay focused. And one of the things he said that I I know as you write about this, you describe this, it's that when we think something, that's one thing. When we say it out loud, yes. We we not only confirm this is this could be true, but then we hear it again. So yeah. so we listen to it again. So mm-hmm. the only way he would say to change that because we have to start saying things that are a new narrative. We have yes. to start telling a better story and yes. use our imagination maybe yes. more. Talk, talk a little bit about the the role we play proactively in changing yes. mindset. I think one of the my favorite part really of the research that we did is that if I were to summarize it all, is that there is hope for all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, the stories that we're telling right now are absolutely driving what you're experiencing in your life, positively and negatively. And all of us tell stories that are empowering and all of us tell stories that are disempowering. Sometimes the ratios are different between people, you know? And the the great thing is, is that once you start to realize that your brain is always telling these stories, there's what happens and then there's what you say about what happens and what you say about what happens is the story. Then what you can do is to go to the second step that we talk about in Mind Your Mindset, which is to interrogate the story. Because sometimes what we do, and all of us have heard about affirmations and things like that, we try to kind of leapfrog from we're telling this story that feels super true to us to we're going to just tell a better story. And our brain can kind of be dismissive of that because it still feels true, the original story. And it was, again, like I said at the beginning, probably lodged in a moment of pain or some sort of charged state that makes it be even more entrenched in those neural pathways to go deeper. And so when we do step two, which is to interrogate the story, we're starting to ask the question, what is the difference between the fact and the fiction or the story that I've laid over the top of it or that my brain has? What else might somebody else who was exposed to the same set of facts think about the situation? Um, Like, for example, my friend in the bathroom, maybe they would have thought, um, oh, maybe she uh, had a fight with her mom that morning and she was just emotionally distracted or maybe she forgot what she was going to say. Or, you know, there's any number of possible interpretations or stories. And that's really the setup for us to take a hold of our agency and realize we don't have to be a victim of these thoughts that feel like they're just controlling us. I mean, in my situation, for more than two decades, I was controlled by this story about speaking that limited my life. But ultimately, I realized I can go to step three, which is to tell a better story, you know, imagine a better story. And once we're able to imagine that better story, like you just said, Gabe, now we can begin building a new neural pathway that becomes the new default for our brain. And in a way, what we're doing is we're training our narrator to be our ally instead of our enemy. It's mm. so good. That's so good. You're right. It's so fascinating, even how much agency and power you had in making agreement that yes. your body, you were exercising power, but the power was, was. shutting you down, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you just, you shift that on its head and go, no, I'm actually going to now agree that with the right people in place and the team and this deadline and me deciding I don't want to live like this anymore, all of a sudden in six weeks time, you tackled something you were afraid of for two decades. So I want to talk for a minute about community in this topic, uh, because I think what happens is you went for two decades because it was harder. Like you said, you didn't really invite anybody into that. Nobody Mm -hmm. really knew that about your spouse. And that was kind of your thing. Like, we're going to keep this on the down low. We're going to kind of hide that this is a fear that I have, a phobia, whatever. And yet when you couldn't hide it anymore and more people were with you as allies, not just the moderator in your brain, but also actual humans, right? Standing in front of you that are like, no, you're the COO. Like you're our leader. We believe in you. We think you have a voice. You have great things to say in meetings. Like we want to champion this for you. I just think how, how much that has catalyzed 
me having courage to face things that in my brain, on my own, I would want to avoid for mm-hmm. forever, indefinitely. Um, so how has people, just people who are walking with you, whether it was your coaches, whether it was your team, what was their role in that six-week journey? Well, Rebecca, I think that's such an important question because for many of us, we have something in our life, a place that we feel stuck, or maybe something that you you really want to go to the next level in in your life. Maybe it's your career or something with your family. And you're like, ah, I just, it's not for lack of trying, but I just can't seem to get there. And what the science would say is that because of the stories that our narrator is telling us and because of how ingrained they can become in terms of these well-worn neural pathways, sometimes there are thoughts that we literally cannot think for ourselves. You know, Mm -hmm. like within myself, I don't have all the resources that I need to ultimately imagine a better story. Again, particularly if that story has been uh, become entrenched in a moment of pain or trauma or other some kind of emotionally charged state. And that's, you know, if you think about therapy, y'all were talking about therapy a minute ago, that's what good therapy is, is it's helping you to rewrite your story in a way that aligns with your most important values and where you want to go in your life. And that's certainly been my experience. And it doesn't have to be a therapist, although that's an incredible resource. It could be a mentor, it could be a coach, it could be a friend. But here's the thing in my own story, I was so burdened by shame that I didn't want to let anybody know. And that was actually the locking mechanism that kept me in prison because I wouldn't ask for help. I wouldn't uh, tell anybody because I felt so ashamed that someone that had achieved as much as I had professionally had what seemed like such a, you know, this is how I said it to myself, such a stupid fear. Of course, it wasn't stupid. I mean, it was, it was just what it was, you know, but that's how it felt to me. And when I finally invited people in and, you know, I talk about this in Mind Your Mindset, I I literally sat in uh, Chicago O'Hare Airport at the American Airlines gate, coming back to Nashville from a business trip, bawling my eyes out, probably mascara all down my face, texting uh, my speech coach, who also happened to be a friend. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to finally break free of this. And that was such a watershed moment of, you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think, the gift of community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know you describe the value of intuition in, in this book, which has been, you know, it's, it's just really helpful because it's, it's, is it the narrator? Is it my intuition? Can I yeah. trust intuition? And where did you land on that? Well, I mean, I would say it's a mixed bag. You know, I, I think what the research would say is that, um, Intuition is very helpful. It, it is many in many cases very trustworthy. I think of myself as being someone who is very intuitive and someone who um, has honed that ability, and it's really been helpful. But I also think we have to use our our knowledge about the narrator as a counterbalance to that, because sometimes, you know, this is where this whole idea of like um, just you know. Uh, live your truth and trust your truth. Sometimes what feels true is not true. Sometimes it feels true because it's our brain looking at our past experiences, which is typically how it happens, and then looking ahead at the future to predict the future and trying to keep us out of trouble or danger or pain or something like that. And so it's going to tell us in very strong emotional terms to avoid something or don't do something or do something. And that's where I think the ability to interrogate the story enables us to say, 
is this a story that ultimately is to my benefit and is really leading me to the things that I'm pursuing in my life that are positive? Or is am I calling it intuition? And in reality, it's a disempowering story that feels very true. And it, it requires discernment. It requires wisdom. And it requires this ability to, to have self-reflection where you can look at this, the facts of a situation, and then the story that your brain is layering over the top and discern which is which. Right. Yeah, that's good. Well, to keep it in the golf category, <laughs> a, a friend of ours who's, who is a tour player famously said to me once, and I've, I've repeated this so many times, he says, feelings are real. They're just not always reliable. And yes. he was describing his golf swing. He's like, sometimes I swing and it feels perfect, but the result I get on, with the ball is horrible. And then there's other yep. times I swing in a way that doesn't feel right. But it's perfect. It is right. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to retrain my brain to recognize the yeah. difference. Um, Gabe always will tie every analogy back to golf, I mean, I just try. in case you're curious. <laughs> for, all, for all those listeners There's a out lot there, there. Who care. <laughs> it really helps keep the men engaged in our conversation. <laughs> Thanks to Pine Cove Summer Camps for supporting the Rhythms for Life podcast. Pine Cove is excited to bring over 50 years of camp ministry experience to their newest overnight youth camp in Georgia, The Springs. Joy has loved her camp experience at Pine Cove the past few years because they're trustworthy, they're fun, they greet her in the parking lot, they are the best counselors, they check in with her, and she looks forward to this every single year. Pine Cove is Christ-centered, it's others-focused, and seriously fun. Summer after summer, each child will not only hear the gospel, they will see it lived out all around them through the staff and the intentional camp activities. The second reason is their college summer staff are amazing. They are the best role models you will definitely want your kids to be around. They don't just watch the campers from afar to make sure everyone stays safe, but they actually invest in the spiritual and personal growth of every single child. Their influence reaches far beyond camp. Your child will be seen, known, and loved at camp. And finally, Pine Cove offers a safe place of belonging and community where campers often say they feel free to be themselves without judgment for the very first time. And campers have this community as well as a shared foundation of gospel truth. So check out pinecove.com springs and use the code rhythms 250 for $250 off a first time overnight youth camp registration at Pine Cove. Again, rhythms 250 for $250 off your first time overnight youth camp registration at Pine Cove. I promise you, your kids will love it. I mean, as you kind of mind your mindset, what are some of the other yeah. important things that people would need to know as they start to go down this journey of, of rethinking the way that they think? Yeah. Well, it really does come down to a very simple, maybe deceptively simple three-step process of, first of all, identify the story, which is where you begin to recognize you have a narrator, there's what happened, and then there's what your brain is going to feed you about uh, what it means. And what I like to remind people is that your brain, it's, it's primary job is to keep you safe. And, and we're talking about like in a primitive way, safe, not, not from like a, a kind of more, um, you know, sophisticated perspective. And so if you find that you have a lot of negative thoughts or self-protective thoughts, that pop up, you know, regularly for you, there's nothing about you that's wrong. Um, there's just a lot of self-compassion that's needed because uh, your brain has just been uh, wired and dialed in over, over, you know, many, 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 many years 
to help you with that process. But once you begin to realize that uh, there is this factor called your narrator that's, that's happening in your brain and you can identify the story, then you can go to the next step of interrogation. And sometimes what I like to do is get a piece of paper. You want to get this out of your head. This is not one of those things you just want to do in your head because it's, it's difficult to separate fact from fiction when it's inside of you, you know? And so like, I'll get a piece of paper or put on a whiteboard on one column. Here's what happened that are observable facts. And then here's what I'm saying about what happened or what somebody else is saying about what happened. And how are those things the same or different? And usually they're pretty different. And then we want to go to imagine a better story. And, you know, if, if you feel like, well, I don't think I could believe just the total opposite of what I have been thinking. Like I, I couldn't believe in my, in my case, uh, you know, I'm just now a TEDx speaker. You know, I was terrified of speaking for two decades and then now I'm a TEDx speaker. I mean, that my brain would have just been like, yeah, right. Uh, and, and I think this is where you can say something like I did. You know, I, I used to be afraid of public speaking but now I'm learning how to step on the stage with confidence. Or I used to think I had to be confident before I stepped on stage, but now I know all speakers have at least a little bit of anxiety before the step on the stage and it makes them better. And so what you're doing is you're kind of hanging the new story off a part of the old one, but you're pulling apart these pieces and putting a little space between the two and saying, but or and, and it opens your brain up to think maybe there's a different interpretation. Maybe that isn't absolutely true. And that can be a great uh, hack or strategy for people who are dealing with something that is pretty entrenched to get to where they can ultimately imagine a better story. Yeah. Well, I, I love this idea of imagining a better story because you do have to imagine it before you can speak it or start to, yes. to claim it, to declare that. I know uh, I went through a really hard depression last winter and I hadn't in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to a podcast where the guest was saying, how about when you wake up tomorrow morning and say, it's going to be a great day. And that felt so far from where I was. Personally, I laughed out loud when I heard it. Like oh I tried to say it and I started laughing because it felt so insincere and aspirational. But because I started laughing at it, it almost like kind of diffused even the cloud of doom that had been circling in my head to just even make myself say it out loud. Mm. And so I started doing it and I would just be like, I don't even think I believe this at all, but I keep saying it. And over time I did invite people in. It did lift as, as it does, you know, when you really aren't owning it alone. Mm. Um, and then this year in January, it was like, we're not going to have another hard January like last year. So Gabe's like, you're going to join this local gym called Iron Tribe and you're going to learn oh how to do pull-ups. And I was like, whoa, it was a lot easier just to say it's going to be a great day. But yeah. now I'm actually <laughs> having to figure out how to do an actual pull-up. But even there, everyone's like fist bumping, giving you high fives, telling you to keep going. I'm like, man, this is possible. I am. I now can imagine a different story by saying that, saying those words and actually yep. uh, Gabe keeping me accountable at yeah. the gym. So, well, you also engaged your body. And that's one of the things that we learned from the research. There's a, a book called Spark by an author uh, called Rite, who goes deep into the science of exercise and uh, mental health and uh, thinking. And what we know, I mean, we've all experienced this. It's like you're stuck like on a writing project, Rebecca, and you end up thinking, God, I've been sitting in front of my computer for four hours. Nothing is coming. And then you go out on a walk or you go feed your chickens or, you know, something like that. And all of a sudden you, you 
actually engage what's called the default mode network of your brain, which is not part of your conscious thinking. And you're able to access a kind of creativity and thoughts that previously you could not through brute force have found your way to. And so I think one of the great strategies that we talk about in this book is to engage your body uh, as a way to engage imagination of a better story. Sometimes you really need to get out of your context and physically engage could be the shower, it could be on a walk or something like that. And it's amazing what comes out on the other side. Yeah, yeah I that's love awesome. That. Well, so thank good. you for being with us. Thank you for writing the book, Mind Your Mindset. I yes. think it's an incredible resource to help all of us overcome adversity, be in a proactive place with our thoughts. We know in our world today, mental health has become such mm-hmm. a concern for so many of us um, to make sure we're practicing rhythms. And and you've added another rhythm into our mindset. And mm-hmm. I love that, Rebecca, yeah, and I love just so helping... Good our community better think about how they're thinking. So thanks for being with us and uh, continued success as you continue to help others become more aware of their thoughts. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. I feel like we have so much natural alignment around these areas, and I appreciate the work that you guys are doing around rhythms. It's so critical. Well, thank you. But what a great conversation and a great way to start this series on overcoming adversity. I mean, I, I love the way she gets into thinking well, right? Mm-hmm. That's something I care a lot about is, oh, is yeah. how we are mentally processing. But I thought her helping us with the narrator thing, to me, that was super helpful. I yeah. think a lot of us don't always recognize the voice in our head and we don't take account of it. Mm-hmm. And she's given us some really clear exercises to go actually note what are those things you're thinking about? Yeah. What to do, examine. And then I love how she ends it very hopeful and optimistic. Examine a new story. Imagine a new story. Yeah. Because if you can't imagine her getting on stage, if she couldn't imagine that, you know, she she had support, she had a deadline, she had a time frame, and she had a decision to make that I don't want to continue to live this way. Right. So if you heard this and maybe it's not public speaking for you, but there's something probably that you've shied away from for a long time from some reason early on in life. And I just say, go back and revisit that. Go back and revisit that thing and let these tools in this book give you the strength and the resources and the people around to imagine a different story. Yeah. And I take away from it two things. One, I can choose to set a goal. I'm going to go do something that's hard because that's going to build resilience. And when I experience these things that are hard, the the adversity, I'm not just going to ignore it or dismiss it. I'm going to use it to motivate me as I continue forward. And so um, if you want to order Rebecca's new book, Building a Resilient Life, you can do that at RebeccaLyons.com slash RL book and take advantage of all the pre-order gifts. And we're excited for this season. Share it with your friends. Feel free to email us and ask us your questions at info at Follow, share, subscribe, and let's continue this journey together to build a resilient life. <laughs>